Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, speaking of that time, you know, something that was really a touch of my heart and with Miami Heat, that Udonis Haslam, um, UD, he came to my video shoot, one of my first videos uh, called Born and Raised in the County of Dade. And to this day, he walks out to it all the time. Um, he was in the video. So it was just love. And, um, you know, you just brought the championship. You know, those days were like, so monumental, it was so big for the city. We still proud and nobody could take that away from us because it's like, it's, it's in stone in history. You know what I'm saying? That time Khaled was speaking of was actually four years before LeBron and Bosch joined Miami, when the Heat won its first title in 2006. It was Miami establishing itself as one of the premier franchises, pairing championship success with the natural draws of the Miami lifestyle. It was that title that even allowed Miami to be one of the finalists to land LeBron in free agency. Welcome back to Four Years of Heat. I'm your host, Israel Gutierrez, and this is episode five, The Crown. In 2012, that winning experience was still fresh in the memories of head coach Eric Spolstra and the two players remaining from that 06 championship, Dwayne Wade and Udonis Haslam. Combine that with the pain still felt by all the players returning off the finals disappointment against Dallas, and the Heat checked all the necessary boxes when it came to experience and motivation. Their opponents in the 2012 finals, the Oklahoma City Thunder, couldn't say the same. They were a young team led by Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden, all of whom were 23 or younger and had won just one playoff series in their young careers prior to the 2012 playoffs. 
They were led by a coach in Scott Brooks, who was just in his fourth year at the position. It was all a stark contrast to what the Heat faced in the veteran Celtics in the conference finals, and their head coach, Doc Rivers, who'd already won a title as a coach in 2008. Mario Chalmers was in his fourth year in the league in 2012 and had started all 64 games he played that regular season. He learned from his veteran teammates that series just how much experience in these situations actually helps a team. It's not just something analysts say when they're trying to predict the outcome of a series. Experience actually matters. Here's Chalmers. Uh, like you said, the series before that, we played Boston. Older team. They execute to a T. They got Doc Rivers, who has some of the greatest ATO plays ever. So you know with them, you got to focus on all the little things. And the little things is, is going to, if you do the little things right, it's going to help you win. Us going into the OKC series, we knew that they was a young team. Uh, we knew they had two, three stars. James Harden was a star at that time. And we knew that they was young. And even though I'm young, I'm hearing these old guys, the older guys, the Shane Battiers and the D-Ways and the Bronze talk about, like, they don't have the experience that we had. And I remember in that series, Shane Battier came to me. He's like, he's like, this series is going to be big for both of us. I'm like, why? He's like, because we're going to have the two hardest matchups. I'm like, what you mean? He's like, you're going to have Westbrook. And most of the time, I'm going to have KD. He said, the biggest thing that we have to do is get them to not work with each other. And I was like, how do you do that? He's like, every time Westbrook gets the ball, just tell him to go. Westbrook sees it off and he gets to the rim and lays it in. Oh, what a pretty play from Russell Westbrook. So I'm sitting there going, Westbrook, like, go, you got it. Go, go, go. And so Westbrook did get 43 in one of those games and went crazy. But we still won because that was our game plan. Never let both of them get off in the same game. So it was that playground style. Oh, no, that's your shot. You got that. That's you. That, and it worked. It worked. I mean, I, it made me look bad some games because Russ, Russ did go off and he didn't miss any shots. But it, it definitely worked to the game plan. What's wild about the idea of literally asking Russell Westbrook to shoot in order to disrupt the Thunder's chemistry is the public narrative around the pair was exactly that. They don't work well together and therefore couldn't win at the highest level. Surely, reaching the finals together was an indication that it was all a false narrative and that Durant and Westbrook in particular are too talented to fail regardless of the awkward chemistry. Westbrook splits LePan, he puts it in, and a foul! The Heat's strategy was a difficult concept to remain faithful in once the Heat lost the finals opener in Oklahoma City 105-94 behind 36 points from Durant and 27-11-8 from Westbrook. Only one other player, Serge Ibaka, even scored in double figures for the Thunder in game one, and yet it was a comfortable win. Wing right, Durant, slicing left, bounce pass low, Collison high, stepped away from Buss, and slams! The Thunder in a battle royale come from 13 back to defeat the Heat. They'll take the one game to none lead. Still, there was something about the initial game experience that had the Heat believing the title was theirs. The last time they'd lost a game, Game 5 against the Celtics in the conference finals, it felt as if the world was about to collapse on them. After this loss, the championship somehow felt closer than ever before. Shane Battier chose the Heat that offseason to put an NBA championship on his resume to match his college and high school titles. He had a strong feeling he'd finally get it, despite being down in the series one game to none. He called this group a team of destiny, but there were more tangible reasons for his belief as well. And it had to do with who Scott Brooks decided to put on the court each night to match up with the Heat's now smaller lineup. Here's Battier. 
we, we played really well game one. And so we left that game. We're like, oh, we're winning game two. And uh, we came out and just, you know, laid the hammer on them, you know. I, and I think uh, the guy who I think is, is Kendrick Perkins. That was uh, Scott Brooks, like, would refuse to take Kendrick Perkins out and do the sensible thing of playing KD at the four and matching up <clears throat> with our small ball. But instead, like they said, this is how we play. We're going to play Bach and Perkins together. And so I got a free pass on defense. I didn't have to guard anybody. Because uh, Perk got one one uh, post up per game, and that was it. And then he didn't chase me out in the three point line, and so I, I shot like fifty percent from the from the three in the in the finals. And we were able to get our guys downhill with space, and it, it was it was the perfect it was the perfect storm. And so like, I look at that series, I'm like, I don't know why they wouldn't go small and put KD on me and totally match up. And so once we got to that game two and we won, we're like, oh yeah, we're we're winning this, we're winning this. The Heat did win game two in Oklahoma City. Despite playing smaller than the Thunder, Bosch pulled in 15 rebounds, James scored 32, and Battier hit five of seven threes on his way to 17 points. Right on the drive, gets to the rim, kicks it out. Battier's open, and that's a three. Battier, by the way, shortchanged himself with those shooting numbers. He actually shot 58% from three in those 2012 finals. Zephalosian, back on LeBron James. Picks it up top, Batty left wide open, nails another. By the time game four arrived, with the heat up two games to one with two more games to be played in Miami, there wasn't much drama remaining. About the only question marks left were first, just how much scoring could the heat withstand from Westbrook and still win? And second, would LeBron throw a wrench in the operation by suffering from some untimely muscle cramps? James had experienced severe cramping in games before, dating all the way back to his high school days when he even went through a series of medical tests because of it. The answer to the first question was apparently 43 points, which is what Westbrook scored in game four, and the Heat won by just six points. The answer to the second was yes, LeBron would make matters more complicated due to cramps. He exited game four with five minutes, 15 seconds remaining with severe leg cramps, only to return one minute later. He hit one three-pointer and missed another, before leaving the game again for good with 55 seconds left in the heat up just three. LeBron is cramping up. Looks right. He is down on the deck. The timing could not be any worse. But on the very next possession, the game four hero, Chalmers, drove for a layup to put Miami up four with 44 seconds left. Then he hit three of four free throws in the final seconds to seal the win. Drive inside to the rim, layup, and got it, Mario Chalmers! With a running layup, Miami now by five. And the Miami Heat win game four, 104-98, and lead three games to one in the NBA Finals. Chalmers scored 25 points, matching his playoff career high. And his motivation for the career highlight of a game was classic Chalmers. Kevin Durant was assigned to defend Chalmers this game. Chalmers saw that, as an insult. I had two bad games before. Well, not two bad games, but I didn't have the games I expected to have coming to the final. So I was a little down on myself. So I remember going to that shoot around. Coach Bo was on me. Everybody was on me like, Rio, get your head up. Come on, Rio, we need you. Tonight going to be your night. Tonight going to be your night. Like I heard that throughout the whole shoot around. So I'm kind of like, all right, are y'all gassing me up to tell me that y'all want me? Like, that's all I need. You tell me that you need something for me, I'm ready to go. So now I remember after that, I took my nap and D-Way had texted me right before the game or right before I head to the gym. He's like, yo, be ready tonight. I feel like it's going to be a big one for you. 
I was like, okay. So I already in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, something special is going to happen tonight. And then when I seen that, it was like, why is KD guarding me? I'm not I'm not one of the stars on the team. Like, this is the finals. Like, you're supposed to be guarding Braun or D-Wade. Like, this is a, a matchup for y'all. So by you guarding me means that you're trying to rest and save all your stuff for offense. I'm not the type of player where I can't score. I can't go get a bucket. I just don't because I got three Hall of Famers that do a little bit better than me. So, so by that, it's like, okay, now that they see that you're guarding me, they're running a little bit more plays for me to for me to be active and to get you active on defense so you can't rest. And I'm actually hitting my shot. So now I'm in a rhythm. Now I feel like I can go and I keep going and my teammates keep feeding me. They keep finding me. I'm getting a little broken plays, little easy layups, open threes. And it was just like everything was just going my way that game. And I felt good. I felt great about it. And just one of them games. Like you said, I always have a big game in the playoffs. Like I always want to leave my mark in whatever championship, whatever series I'm in, just so you can say we can rely on Mario. In game five, it would be another reliable piece, Mike Miller, who helped shoot his good buddy LeBron into a championship celebration. Miller hit seven of eight three-pointers on his way to 23 points in 23 minutes off the bench. Miller for three. Bang! Mike Miller from downtown. And the Heat lead by 15. And on the shot clock. Wade. The Miller, another three. Got another one! Oh my goodness! You are watching perfection! That's his seventh trade! Miller was the player Udonis Haslam says connected the dots with that Heat team, getting along with each individual. So his performance in that championship clincher made for an even more joyful experience. But all eyes were on LeBron James as he was about to win his first championship and his first finals MVP trophy. He and the remaining starters were taken out of the game with three minutes and one second left in the season and a 22-point lead. LeBron James with a triple-double. Most important game in his career. LeBron James will come out of the game to the roar of the crowd. Wade, with a championship already in hand, made sure he watched his good friend LeBron's reaction to winning his first. We talked about that moment so many times. When the clock is winding down and you know you got the game in hand, it's about to be a celebration. And I turned around and I looked at him and I just seen the smile on his face. He looked like a little kid at that moment. Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press would keep his eyes on James the rest of the way. There's that image of him, you know, jumping up and down on the sideline and swinging his arms. But the very first thing he did when he knew Spo was taking him out of the game was he went over to Chris Bosh and he just bowed his head into Chris's chest. It was like relief. It was joy. It was thank you. Like, he doesn't always show a super ton of emotion, but it was so telling to me that the first person he went to go almost pay tribute to in a way was Chris. That was cool. And then the clock goes zero and he doesn't storm the floor. They're not holding each other back. They're not doing any of that stuff that you would typically see when the clock goes zero for a championship. Let the coronation begin. LeBron James has helped crown Miami a champion of the basketball world. There'll be another parade down beautiful Biscayne Boulevard. He's got, you know, the towel up and he goes down and he embraces Kevin Durant. And he wraps Kevin Durant up and starts whispering in his ear about how your time is coming. 
it was very cool in in the moment that he recognized there was more to the moment than just you. But yes, the weight had been lifted, and then he became LeBron 3.0 or 4.0, whatever he became at that point, because on top of being the baddest man in the world, now he's a champion on top of it. It's the best feeling of my life. Right? That's why we came together two summers ago, and we told y'all we was going to be champions, man. It's been a long process, but we'll take it. James recovered from his lowest professional moment, failing against the Mavericks on the biggest stage in basketball to raise two gold trophies one year later on a day he called the best of his life. Well, I just used last year's experience, you know, uh, you know, the heartbreak loss in the finals and, you know, me not playing to my abilities and me not making enough plays to help our team win that series. You know, it was the, at the time, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. But, uh, you know, at that point in time, like I said, I was not thinking outside the box at that point in time. And, you know, I started, you know, after I moped and laid around for a couple weeks, uh, you know, I looked in the mirror and, uh, you know, figured out ways I can help this team win. You know, figure out ways I can be better on and off the floor. And now, uh, you know, today being the NBA champion, you know, you know that loss, you know, and that heartbreak was the best thing that ever happened to me because it basically refocused me, it rehumbled me, and uh, you know, basically put me back in a position where I just started back with the basics, and uh, you know, I was able to, uh, you know, regain who I am, you know, both on and off the floor. Did you ever play the over/under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under thirty seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love. Pick six, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddy makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Miami was, at the time, one of 10 franchises to win multiple titles, joining the Celtics, Lakers, Warriors, Bulls, Spurs, 76ers, Pistons, Knicks, and Rockets. LeBron James was, most believed, on his way to fulfilling that infamous promise of not one, not two, not three. To get to this point, though, the parts around him had to evolve as well. It wasn't just about upgrading the roster from one year to the next. It wasn't just about Wade handing the lead role to LeBron full-time. It also included Chris Bosh adjusting to a pair of teammates that dominate the same area of the floor he did, and adjusting to an NBA that was almost requiring big men to shoot from three-point range. And then there was Eric Spolstra, the coach who'd been questioned since day one. The first season with James, Wade, and Bosh featured too much predictable offense, and Spolster would have his own regrets about the system he was using all season. This first championship season would provide the breakthrough both Bosch and Spolster needed. Our team went through a lot together, uh, and all those adversities and tough times, and then you're finally able to get over uh, that hump and climb that mountain and do it collectively. It's an incredibly gratifying experience. For Spolster, his biggest philosophical shift happened after that disappointing 2011 finals. He was so determined not to end another season feeling like he could have done more. So he traveled across the country to Eugene, Oregon, to meet with Ducks football coach Chip Kelly. He'd reach out to so many more coaches that offseason, including Mike Krzyzewski, John Calipari, and Urban Meyer. His pace and space concept, most influenced by Chip Kelly's football philosophy, had the Heat playing fast and their stars playing aggressively. Utilizing their athletic advantages, while leaving much of the outside shooting to the support players. This way, teams like Dallas couldn't take those advantages away by comfortably settling into their defense. This brotherhood, they can't ever take it away from us. 25 years from now, we're going to be coming back together in this semicircle and talking about this journey. (laughs) Even within that 2011-12 season, however, Spolster was proving he'd learned from his first season with this group he'd adjust however necessary. It was never more obvious than in between playoff series against the Pacers and Celtics. Against the Pacers, the Heat had to match up with a bigger team and did it with their best big, Bosch, missing due to injury. In the very next series, against a smaller Celtics team, Spolstra changed everything about the offense. Battier was one of the versatile players who allowed Spolstra to make the postseason switch with confidence. Yeah, we, we literally went to a, like a five-out offense. Um, you know, most of our sets, when CB was healthy, we're getting with these kind of like long, like 10-second plays, and we'd get like a, you know, a cutter running across the floor, cause misdirection, and try to hit, you know, one of our all-stars in a spot where they could go to work. Um, so it was much more like traditional, like, they don't play this way in the NBA anymore, but like much more traditional sets. 
And we went to a, an entirely like read based offense we called a five out where the center actually was at the top of the three point line. And he was the, the key decision maker. And it was a series of back cuts and curl cuts and still getting our guys in position to do stuff. But like, and then the spacing was entirely different. And so for the first time, really, since those guys had been there, because I was a group three point shooter and would draw the defense out, these guys had room to operate and get downhill. And it was sort of like, wow, this, this is different. We, you know, we, we actually have space to, to operate now. And obviously, you know, every team went to playing small ball, but that's, that's the advantage of playing small where you create more space for the best players to operate and the lanes they can get downhill, get to the basket much larger. And it just puts pressure on the defense in an entirely different way. And like, like defenses weren't used to that. So they had a really, really hard time adjusting to sort of this new, you know, we call it pace and space game that, uh, that was, was brand new. Spolster was also the unofficial founder of positionless basketball. Sure, he had LeBron James by his side, but no one else had unlocked this version of LeBron. And after Spolster withstood the firestorm that was this Heat team and came out with a championship, he was as confident as his players were. Stan Van Gundy was an assistant coach under Riley with the Knicks and Heat. He was the head coach of the Heat from 2003 to 2005. He coached the Orlando Magic to a finals appearance, coached and was president of basketball operations for the Detroit Pistons, and coached the New Orleans Pelicans, and is now a color analyst for TNT. Spolster was an assistant under Van Gundy when he coached the Heat, and he coached against Van Gundy for more than a decade. I think one of the things that made them scary as a competitor is I knew damn well that Eric would do a a great job with that. And, and I think one of the reasons that Eric's as good as he is in general, but was great with that group is Eric's ego never gets involved in the thing. Eric is just a guy who's always searching for the best way to do things and the best way to maximize his players and his team. And he's never going to get caught up in an ego battle. You know, I, I don't think it ever bothered him that during that time he still didn't get as much credit as he deserved. All the credit went to Pat. And I think a lot of people saw like Pat was behind the scenes, like pulling the strings and, you know, had an earpiece in and was just Eric was doing, which was not close to the truth. And I think a lot of people, a lot of coaches would have gotten upset or been unnerved by that. Eric's able to block out all those things, all those distractions, um, all those ego things just never mattered to him. I mean, he just stayed focused on doing the best job for that team. And I think, look, you don't have to be around that for very long as a player um, before you have great respect. And then on top of it, it wouldn't take you very long to figure out um, that he knows what he's talking about basketball wise. I mean, he can, he can teach, he can coach, he can game plan, he can X and O like this guy's really, really good. So you put those two things together, his tactical ability and his lack of ego. Um, and well, there's a third thing there is he's firm. I mean, you know, like Eric's not gonna just back down. If guys like, I don't feel like, doing walkthrough today. Well, we're going to do walkthrough today. You know, 
regardless. If they think it's too long, it's he's just not like he's going to decide what's right. I'm not saying he won't listen to his players, but he's going to decide what's right and he's going to stick to it. And, you know, he's not afraid. I mean, he, he's he's got a lot going for him. He was the perfect coach for that group. Spolstra was, at the very least, an ideal coach for Bosch during this journey. From the start of his time with Miami, Bosch was regularly ridiculed. Even if insults were aimed at LeBron, Bosch would often get hit with shrapnel. Even Van Gundy had jokes. He called Bosch Dwayne Wade's lapdog after he chose Miami. I mean, I don't really, and, and I do regret the comment, mainly because I've got unbelievable respect for Chris Bosch. We had played him, his Toronto team, in the playoffs, and you know, had a tough series with them because of Chris Bosh. So uh, certainly knew how good he was, respected his approach to the game and everything else. I, I think at the time it was just a little bit of disgust, I guess, for these guys, you know, just he and LeBron really like having to sort of hop on the bandwagon because they couldn't get it done on their own you know, is the way I looked at it. In retrospect, looking back, you know, look, all of us, coaches, players, everybody, you you look for the best situation you can find. And we all do it in our jobs. I mean, if tomorrow you could find a situation that was a lot better for you in your job, you'd certainly want to do that. We all do. And so to begrudge those guys, that really wasn't fair of me. But that's the way I was looking at it at the time. Like, I looked at it as a weakness. I'll admit, that's the way, I mean, I'm sitting in Orlando. I'm saying, well, LeBron couldn't beat us in Cleveland, and Chris couldn't beat us in Toronto. So, yeah, run on down to Miami and and get some, you know, get some help from Dwayne, and and, uh, now you guys can be good. Spolster heard what was being said about Bosch. More importantly, he knew what kinds of sacrifices Bosch had to make to join this championship team. So Spolster reminded listeners every chance he got that Bosch was the most important piece on that team. It's hard to completely agree when, you know, his teammate is the league MVP, but Spo often made his point. Battier certainly recognized Bosch's sacrifice, despite joining in Bosch's second year with the Heat. You know, CB probably had to sacrifice the most, the most touches, uh, the most opportunity. Uh, look, in Toronto, he was used to getting the ball, you know, 20, 22 times in, in the mid post, and the low post, and the high post, and he could just sort of operate and wheel and deal. And they tried that, you know, the first year of the big three, and it just didn't work just because the, the spacing was 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 poor. And LeBron and, and D weren't great three-point shooters, so CB just didn't have room to operate. And so he really had to change his, his, his game, become much more of a pick-and-roller. But again, like, he was a power forward. Um, who didn't shoot threes that entire regular season. You know, we started Joel Anthony and CB at the 4-5. And so most people think about Chris Bosh as this like stretchy, you know, first early adopter as, as a small ball center, but he was still like a traditional power forward, throw the ball to him on the blocks that let him go to work. You know, he evolved into like the ultimate weapon in terms of, just being an unbelievable pick and roll defender, probably the best pick and roll defender in the league that second and third year. And he was like the skeleton key that unlocked really everything defensively for us. 
and uh, you know offensively expanded his game but he, he sacrificed a lot so cb deserves a lot of credit for uh his humility and just his competitiveness to to win during that stretch after a championship bosch and company not only knew what they had was good enough to win it all they also knew bosch's continued evolution would help the heat adjust to a league that was becoming more reliant on three-point shooting Ray Allen was a part of Celtics teams that lost to James, Wade, and Bosch in the previous two postseasons. Before that, he was pivotal to the Celtics winning the 2008 championship in his first season with that team. The idea of him joining the Heat after having such an intense rivalry seemed unfathomable, at least to those who cheered him on or played with him in Boston. But Allen had already been involved in trade discussions that season and the team was leaning toward building with the younger Rajon Rondo. Allen's other options that offseason included the Clippers, Grizzlies, Timberwolves, and Heat. And the heated encounters against Miami didn't exactly have them on top of his list initially. I, I wasn't comfortable at all uh, with it. Uh, it, was, it was such a, a difficult uh, position that I was in. And... We were in a, in a position where, you know, we were on a decline in Boston and there was a point in our negotiations where they seemed like they just fell apart. I had visited Miami and I was on the way. And that was even odd, by the way, coming down to Miami and kind of walking into Spoh's office and, and kind of talking to them about this whole process. And, and, and there was that, that semblance of, you know, there's a, a, a wolf in the hen house, you know, when I walk in and I legitimately was doing my due diligence uh, because from there, from Miami, I was about to fly to L.A. because the Clippers are also on the table as well. And I really was you know, interested in playing in L.A. for the Clippers. I couldn't see myself as, uh, as a Heat, you know, playing for the Heat. The Clippers, who Allen was quite interested in, signed another shooting guard, Jamal Crawford, that offseason. The Grizzlies, Wolves and Heat were Allen's final options. Memphis needed guard help on a defensive-minded team, and Minnesota was a young team built around Kevin Love that was far away from winning at the level Allen craved. In the end, it was Allen's respect for LeBron James that tilted the scales toward Miami. When he chose the Heat, it was something of a shock to the rest of the NBA. The Heat's championship crew just added another surefire Hall of Famer, and he provides the team with even more deadly shooting around those three dangerous attackers. It was an embarrassment of riches for a Heat team ready to make a repeat run. And the chemistry was evident right from the beginning, getting off to a 20-6 and six start, including wins against the Celtics in the opener, a Christmas Day Finals rematch against the Thunder, and the Spurs, a team Allen and the Heat didn't know would come to be their biggest rival. The way Allen explains it, that chemistry was no accident. Well, chemistry is an interesting word because people think chemistry, like you walk into a situation and it's either there or it's not. You know, people say, oh, I just have great chem chemistry with this person. Like chemistry is a choice. Uh, it's not like, you know, these potions that we mix into a beaker and then all of a sudden you get this magical formula and it allows everything to be great. Chemistry, uh, when, you're, when you're on a basketball team, you learn how to play under the, the rules, the circumstances, the guidelines of that team. And you learn how to respect the guys that are there and you make yourself a part of it. And you kind of emulsify yourself 
into this existence of being what this team culture is. And then the people on the, on the exterior then say, wow, they got such great chemistry. No, you work for that. Like, I know, you know, going back to my Seattle days to Boston and Miami, I know that I'm not getting the 19 to 20 shots I got in Seattle. It diminished to Boston and then, then to Miami. So if I bring that mentality into Miami, like I'm supposed to play more, I'm supposed to start, I'm supposed to do all these things, then I'm setting myself up for failure. By February of that season, the Heat had added another key role player in Chris Birdman Anderson, a 6'11 center who'd provide much needed rebounding and rim protection. To start February, the Heat lost a game in Indiana to that giant Pacers team that was becoming quite comfortable facing Miami. It was one of the points in a season when a team with championship hopes checks in on itself. Former NBA player and coach Sam Mitchell thought the loss was a warning sign for Miami and said as much on NBA TV. But Miami has got some, still got those questions lingering out there. Everybody keeps saying they can turn it on when they want to. But I just don't agree with that. Great teams don't do that. They meet the challenge. They send messages to teams and they let them know that we're still the dominant team. Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DK Hoops only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Heat's response to that loss in Indiana started with a bounce-back win in Toronto two days later. Then, Miami swept a six-game homestand, including a win over the Lakers, who had tried to make a super team of their own with Steve Nash and Dwight Howard joining Kobe Bryant in Los Angeles to match Miami's. It was no match. I think Chalmers got a piece of it, the deflection. James to the basket! Throws it down, and the lead is nine, largest of the afternoon. Then Miami won four more on a road trip starting with another defeat of Oklahoma City and included a win in Chicago where they held the Bulls to 67 points and forced 26 turnovers. It was Miami's ninth win in a row, and Wade and LeBron talked about a defense that was reaching playoff-level intensity. Early in the season, we wasn't playing the defense we wanted to play, um, and I think we turned it up, you know, understanding what's at stake uh, with this team. And tonight, you know, this team picked us apart last time we played them in the sense that they got everything they wanted. Um, even though it was tough for them to score in the half court, they still was able to get the ball to spots they wanted. It would enable them to get offensive rebounds. So tonight, we wanted to make sure that we pushed them out a little bit more. Uh, we took a few more seconds off the clock and just made it a little harder. We want to try to create turnovers that allows us to get some easy buckets and fast break points. So uh, it's just another win on a long NBA season. Um, but the best thing about the win, we got better. Miami had survived a double overtime game against Sacramento for the 12th win and needed a game-winning layup from LeBron with three seconds left to get win number 16 against the Magic. LeBron with 10, guarded by Daquan Jones with eight, with seven, with five, on the drive, lays it in, and the Heat lead by one with three seconds to play. A foul at half court, heave ho! Miami wins! Streak lives on to a sweet 16. Uh, I seen an opportunity. The middle was a little bit open. I went to my right to left crossover and was able to get to the paint and finish. You guys were up 20 early in the third quarter before less than a quarter of that they took the lead. What changed? We didn't get stops in the third quarter. We allowed them to gain confidence and they started making shots. We didn't get stops and it allowed them to get back into the game. At this game, the Cleveland game, the Kings game, what is it about these non-playoff teams at home that's been a challenge for you guys? Uh, you know, it doesn't matter who we're going against, no matter the record. We just want to win. Uh, you know, we took a step backwards in the third quarter, but we picked it up in the fourth and was able to get one more stop and also get another bucket. When the Heat started a five-game trip on March 13th, the streak had reached 19 straight. On that road trip, the Heat won in Boston by overcoming a 13-point fourth-quarter deficit to win by two, and it included one of James's signature highlight plays. After forcing a Boston turnover, Norris Cole lobbed a pass for LeBron, who crushed it over a frantically defending Jason Terry, who was also called for a foul. James hovered over Terry for just long enough to receive a technical, but it was probably worth it for that tiny bit of revenge from the 2011 Finals. Jason Terry, good defense. Wade from behind takes it away. Chalmers, Cole, James! Whoa! And a technical foul called 
on Miami with a taunt. Then two nights later in Cleveland, the Heat's deficit, 27, was actually longer than the streak at the time, 23. And that was in the third quarter. In the same building LeBron triumphantly returned home in 2010, LeBron and the Heat were about to end a historic regular season run. At least it appeared as much to Battier. I think that some of the guys said, okay, it was a great run. Good run, good run. Okay, we didn't have it tonight. Like you had, like every team goes through this. We're just like, ah, we don't have it tonight. Next one. And it was sort of the bench mob that came through. And we started gunning threes and started hitting threes. And all of a sudden, the guys who were like, oh, we, we can win this game. <laughs> the Heat were down 71 48 with 428 remaining in the third quarter. That's when Battier and Chalmers took the Heat on their personal 13 2 run to bring the deficit to a manageable 12 with 147 left in the period. That was the cue for James to join the party in his old stomping grounds. And at the 940 mark of the fourth period, LeBron hit his third three-pointer in a 96-second stretch that gave Miami an 80-79 lead. LeBron pull up three. It's good! And Miami has tied the game at 77 with a 37-10 run. Yes, you have to have heart for a comeback like this. Oh, my. Here's another one. Yes! Three triples in the fourth quarter for LeBron, and the Heat have an 80-79 lead. Amazing. The Heat on a 40-12 run. Allen straightaway triple. Allen followed with a three of his own, and Miami never trailed again. They'd need a pair of clutch James free throws in the final seconds to hold off Cleveland and win their 24th straight game. The comeback win was exhilarating. The streak itself, however, had become something of a burden, according to Haslam. The NBA record was 33 straight wins, held by the 71-72 Los Angeles Lakers. The Heat were approaching that, and approaching best team ever conversations. Here's Haslam. All they wanted to talk about was the streak. It was no respect for our next opponent. Like, there was no respect for our next opponent. Like, nobody cared. Like, it was just like, they was just assumed we were just gonna walk in here and beat these people. And people who don't understand, you add gasoline to the fire when we go in here and play these teams. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, start, it stopped becoming about the next opponent and the next game, and all it became about was the streak. Wins number 25 and 26 came in easy fashion at home against the Pistons and Bobcats. Win number 27 came up the road in Orlando. It ended in Chicago against the hated Bulls with future Heat forwards Luol Deng and Jimmy Butler combining for 45 points in the streak buster. LeBron, Spolstra, Wade, and Bosh reflected on the historic streak. Um, so we, we had a moment, you know, uh, you know, just very fortunate and very humbled and, and blessed to be a part of this team and be a part of a streak like that. Um, you know, it's one of the it's one of the best that you know this league has ever seen. So, um, you know, we recognize that. Um, you know, and rightfully so. I had everybody come in, put a hand on e on each other, um, and for the first time, I mentioned the streak in front of the guys, uh, and. Um, it was worthy of at least stepping back for those few short moments uh, that it was a heck of an experience for all of us to have together. Unbelievable um, streak that we was on, you know, but in, in here, it didn't feel like we was on this amazing streak. It just felt like we was just playing basketball and we was um, finding ways to win games and it just so happened to result into 27 wins. 
It's been a great run. Uh, it's been a great run. Um, we still have a lot of work to do, but like we said before, that wasn't important to us. The streak wasn't important to us. What's important to us is to win a title. You know, this is a special team, man, and, you know, how we are on and off the floor, uh, it's going to be hard to remember everything, but, you know, ultimately, like you said, we want to win the NBA championship, and, and along those, along the season, along those rides, you know, you have moments throughout those rides where you can reflect on, and this is one of them. Battier had done something similar before with the Houston Rockets, even though it felt quite different. The Rockets' win streak in 2008 ended after 22 games. And that was way more unexplainable. You know, we're, we're doing it with, like, young men getting hurt, and Kevin Mutombo is 50 years old, coming in, giving us stuff. You know, so, like, it was an amazing run, and we're just, you know, we didn't even talk about it because we didn't know how it was happening. Now, this was much different. Like, this is much more explainable. We got Hall of Famers up and down the line. We're defending champs. And we just got into a, just a, a zone. And when you're playing like that as a team, like, you don't really, like, analyze it and say, like, well, what are we doing better? You just are excited to get to the gym. Everyone's happy. You're joking around. And it was a, it was a long time between losses. I mean, I look at the calendar now. There was the all-star break in between that. And so a lot of stuff happens where, you know, you could lose your, your mojo. But it was just one of those just pure times when uh, just we were happy. We were we were together. We were making shots, and I'm not going to say it was easy. It wasn't, but um, it just felt like, okay, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna win every single night we step on the floor. The Heat had gone more than seven weeks, from February 1st to March 27th, between losses. They were 56-15 and 15 when it ended and would finish the season with a Heat franchise record 66 wins, six more than any other team in the league, and five more than any other team in Heat history. LeBron would win his fourth MVP award after a regular season that was arguably the greatest of his career. He'd averaged just under 27 points with eight rebounds and more than seven assists per game, but he shot a ridiculous 56.5% from the field for the season. Michael Jordan's most efficient shooting season was in 1990-91 when he shot just under 54%. James was toying with the game at times this season, going one stretch of six games where he scored 30 points or more on 60% shooting or better. That ridiculous shooting overshadowed what had been Wade's most efficient season as well. Wade shot 52% from the field that season, a number he'd only best once the very following year when he'd shoot 54.5% from the field in his fourth and final season next to LeBron in Miami. Bosch's averages of just under 17 points and seven rebounds were his lowest since before he started making All-Star games at age 21 in Toronto. But his 53% shooting from the field would be his career best, and his willingness to take a then-career best 74 three-pointers would help open up the Heat offense. The entire regular season was a magical run that saw the Heat players make a hilariously memorable video to a trendy song called Harlem Shake, where they all danced in the locker room wearing varying random costumes and the team reached passports to send a powerful message following the killing of Trayvon Martin, a 17-year-old black teenager in Sanford, Florida. It was a season Allen was nervous about beginning, but would have no regrets during. The Harlem Shake was probably the highlight of that whole uh, experience because in spite of trying to be held to the standard always, we were able to still be goofy. You know, we were able to still 
just have fun and let people know like we 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 love what we do. We enjoy being around each other. And we'll do something that sometimes when we go on that practice sport and we're kind of dialed in, like we 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 like to have fun. You know, and in case in point, I remember when I got down to Miami, uh, I'm just messing around with the guys and y'all got stuff going on and you UD looks at me, he goes, Man, Ray, we did not know you were like this. And I looked at him, I said, What what are you talking about, you? He was like, Man, I just we just thought you just didn't say nothing because that was my persona on the court. You know, but off the court, you know, uh, I, I like to I used to I used to be a, a practical joker. When the Heat reached the playoffs in 2013, the vibes were still strong. A drama free first round sweep of the pre Giannis Milwaukee Bucks kicked things off. After a week of rest and LeBron being awarded his MVP trophy, the Heat faced those pesky Chicago Bulls who were still without the injured Derrick Rose, but had broken the Heat's 27 game win streak and had just come off a seven-game series win against the Brooklyn Nets. Joe Kim Noah had developed into an all-star by now and was the heart and soul of these Bulls. What, what I remember the most about that was in the second time we played them in the playoffs, Derek was hurt, and LeBron got MVP, and there was on the Jumbotron, uh, you just see all his highlights. He's dunking at the rim like all crazy. And I'm looking at Nate, and Nate's, Nate Robinson is looking up, and I was like, I, go, I just go over there, and I was like, Nate, if, if I see you looking up at that one more time, man, stop looking up. I was like, don't even look at that. So those are the memories that I'll remember, just going into there, going in there, and just with that fighting spirit. That spirit, and maybe a week's worth of rust for Miami, was enough for Chicago to take game one of the series behind a shocking 10 nothing run to close the 93-86 win. The Bulls were once again injecting a bit of fear into Miami, but it wouldn't last long. The fear or the series. The Heat won the next game by 37 points and the series in five games. The most memorable moment in that series wasn't even a play on the floor. It was when a fan named Philomena Tobias tossed the double birds in the direction of Noah as he was leaving the floor following an ejection. The image, if you look it up, was Miami basketball fandom in a nutshell at the time. Heat against the world. And in the next series, the Pacers would temporarily rock that Heat world once again. Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals would require a LeBron James buzzer-beating layup as a fouled-out Wade watched from the bench. gets it in. Here's James on the But the Pacers would complete the deal in Game 2, winning 97-93 in Miami. And suddenly, the Heat were one LeBron layup away from having been down 0-2. Head coach Frank Vogel and his Pacers were playing to his team's strength, which was size and strong defense, to make life difficult for Miami. Once again, the size of Indiana's big man, Roy Hibbert, was what separated the Pacers from the rest of Miami's opponents. And in this series, LeBron and Wade in particular were working on their short floaters near the basket to solve the Hibbert dilemma. This wasn't going to be the cruise to the finals the rest of the league expected to watch. Here's Battier. 
Well, Vogel did a great job of making adjustments. Um, they didn't know how to handle our small ball the first year. The second year, they did, did a much better job. And uh, sort of the downfall of our defense, and we were, we were such a high-pressure, high-intensity defense, it, it was predicated on speed and, like, precision. And what Pacers did a very good job at is was using our aggressiveness against us and inviting the trap, getting off it, and whipping the ball around. And just that was the weakness of our, of our defense. And so they did a much better job of that. And then when you add in the physicality um, and, you know, where Hibbert, that was, that was his peak, man. He, he was a big dude. And, you know, when he would go off and just jump at the rim, there's not much you could do, even if we had LeBron and D. Wade. And so they just were presented a really tricky matchup. They were, they were more prepared against us this year. And they were hungry. I mean, they were, they were pissed off from the year before. And they really felt that they were better than us. And, and we, we, we thought we were better than them. But, like, we, we knew they were a confident bunch against us. The Heat and Pacers alternated wins and losses until Miami dominated a Game 7 at home, 99-76, and earned a third straight trip to the NBA Finals. Never take this for granted going on this ride to the next round. And these next four, it's whatever it takes. Together on three, one, two, three. Together! Game 7 may have been devoid of drama, but Dwayne Wade said overcoming the adversity up to that point helped them thrive in the series clincher. I feel like we have individuals on our team um, that respond very well uh, when adversity hits. So, um, you know, I kind of like it a little bit. You know, I kind of like the way that our team is when we get to those moments, when our back is against the wall as individuals, um, because we got winners, we got champions in our locker room, and you know you don't become a champion by luck. Awaiting them in that last series of the year was a team the Heat beat both times they played in the regular season, the San Antonio Spurs. The unassuming team from South Central Texas had twice as many championships as the Heat to this point, with all four of them coming while head coach Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan led the way. And while the Heat went through a postseason defeating familiar teams with similar physical styles, the Spurs would provide an entirely different look offensively and a defensive strategy that had already flummoxed a young LeBron James in the 2007 finals while he was a Cavalier. It's the final series of the third season of this now champion Heat team led by James, Wade, and Bosch. And it's possible they were about to face their greatest challengers yet. Here's Ray Allen. The problem is going into San Antonio, they're not, they're not going to let you ground and pound them. They're going to be moving. They're going to be setting screens. And you look this way, you look that way, and all of a sudden the guy's not there anymore. The, the offense is so much motion. They throw the ball ahead. They, you just never know who is going to score. And we had more of a, a traditional way playing through three players, even though they played through three players. Patty Mills was a killer out there. Danny Green was a killer out there. You know, guys that came off the bench were just as productive as their starters, and it made it much more difficult for us in um, trying to guard those guys. On the next four years of heat. That's the doubt you get from San Antonio, because unlike some teams, they're not going to lose it. You're going to have to win it. You know, with 20 plus seconds to go and us being down five, you know, the human nature, doubt starts to creep into your mind. You see San Antonio fans popping their jerseys, you know, jumping up and down. It's a dark moment. 
I was trying to will it into existence. <laughs> I think that's probably the best way to say it. We were all trying to will that that feeling into, into existence. I, I don't know in our heart of hearts if we truly, truly felt confident, uh, but we were trying to fake it till we made it. It's like, holy smokes, like, this is surreal. Like, we're about to win the NBA championship in game six. Did not see this coming. And then no one saw what coming, what happened after that. You know, all the shots I've hit in my career, like this is the one that people will talk about the most. And this will be the one that, you know, at this stage, at this level, where it changed the tide of a lot of people's careers on both sides. And then to get to that point where the trophy's 12 feet to your left, uh, it's hard to put that into words, what that emotion was. Four Years of Heat is a production of iHeartRadio and the NBA. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.